All right. I want to invite you today to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 today. Concluding our series that we've been going through for the last several weeks on sexual sin. But before we jump into the text today, I want to, I've got a quiz for you. I've got a question, a little biblical trivia question. Don't shout it out. Let's see if you can get it right. What is the very first thing that Jesus told us to do in his very first sermon that he ever preached? Jesus um, shows up on the scene. He grows up in obscurity. And then one day he shows up at the Sea of Galilee and he preaches the very first sermon that he ever preaches. And then the very first line of the very first sermon God in the flesh ever says is this. And he tells us to do something. What does he tell us to do? Well, I'm going to show you what he says in Mark chapter, don't turn there, just watch this. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. It says, now after John had been taken into custody, that was Jesus' cousin, So Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, okay? And verse 15 is the first sentence of the first sermon Jesus ever preached. And Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And here it is. He says, repent and believe the gospel. It's the first thing Jesus ever told us to do. First thing he ever told us to do. In the very first line of the very first sermon, he says, I want you to repent and believe the gospel. Now that word repent is simply a word that means to turn from your sin. Now you think about the implications of that. The very first thing God in the flesh ever told for us to do, he said, I want you in light of the fact that the kingdom of God has come, is I want you to turn from your sin. And so over the last five weeks, we've been talking specifically about sexual sin and It's been my prayer and the prayer of the elders of this church that God will through this time or have through this time convicted you of your sin and been revealing to you either sexual sin or sin in general in your life. And hopefully one of the questions that you've been asking yourself is how do I repent of my sin? How do I, what does it look like for me to turn from the sin that's in my life, sexual otherwise. Well, here's what we're going to see today in Ephesians chapter 5, is Paul's going to show us specifically how to turn from sin in our lives. Okay, now, again, we've been in a sexual sin series. That's not everybody's deal in this room, but everybody in this room has sin in their lives. And so this applies to everyone regardless of whether your sin is sexual otherwise. Paul is going to give very specific directions to us on what it looks like to turn from the sin and repent of the sin in our lives. So let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Verse 5, it says, For this you know with certainty, for this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person, and that, that, that word immoral there is sexual immorality in the Greek, porneia, that no sexually immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. 
For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And in verse 9, he says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Okay, now here's what Paul just said. Here's what Paul just told us. He says, there are two things that have to happen in order for you to repent of sin in your life. Repentance has two parts, in other words. The first thing that he says, step one in repenting of sin in your life is this, is you have to stop doing something. That's what he just said. That's step one in repentance of your sin. And then in step two, the second part in repentance in your life, not only do you stop something, but you start doing something else in its place which he says is goodness, or rather goodness, righteousness, and truth. All right, so let's read this together and look at the first part of repentance that he's talking about. In verse 5 again, he says, For this you know with certainty that no sexually immoral, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And in verse 7, you see the first part of repentance. Here it is. He said, Therefore, in light of the fact... That, that, that a person who is sexually immoral has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, Paul says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. All right? Now, in verse 7, what Paul just did is he gave us the first step to repenting of our sin. You ready? It's very simple. He says, here's step one. If you want to repent of your sin, here's step one. You stop the sin. You stop. Now, there's nothing profound about that. There's nothing theologically deep about that. Paul says, you need to understand something. The wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, if you want to repent, here it is. Step one, stop the sin. Stop. Okay, now here's the thing. Just because you feel bad about your sin does not mean that you are repenting of your sin. Just because you feel convicted about your sin or that you've even cried over your sin, or you feel some sort of grief over your sin, that does not mean that you have repented of your sin. Real, God-inspired, God-wrought, God-produced repentance means, step one, that you stop the sin. All right, in 2 Corinthians, don't turn there, read this with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he says, For godly grief, watch this carefully, he says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, what he said in that verse is this, that there are two types of grief or two types of sorrow that you can experience because you have sin in your life. The first is worldly sorrow or worldly grief, which means this. It means you feel bad about your sin, but you do not repent. So he's saying there that you can feel bad about the fact that you sin, but you do not repent. And Paul says that is going to lead to death. All right, now, there's another kind of grief, he says, and it's godly grief. And this is the kind of grief which means you feel bad about your sin, but you do repent. You do repent of it, all right? Real godly grief, real God-inspired sorrow over your sin never stops with sorrow. Real godly grief always will lead you to repentance. 
And Paul says that true repentance of your sin means that you will stop the sin. All right? For example, let me just give you a real easy example here. If, uh, for those of you, I haven't talked about much about dating in this series. Let me talk about dating for a second. Um, for those of you in the room that are in a dating relationship or at least wanting to be at some point in your life. But if you're in a physical relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and through this series, you have felt conviction over that sin, right? You're going to feel bad about that. You need to understand that you might feel bad about it, and, and that's a really good thing. Okay, that if you're feeling bad about that or feeling convicted about that, but the scripture is incredibly clear that you have not begun to walk in biblical repentance, which you are commanded to do, until you stop that sin, until you stop it. And I needed to hear that when I was dating, all right? And I'm going to share something with you It's a little bit off the subject, just a little bit, but I wanted to address it again. This is the last sermon in our series. I don't know again when we'll talk about dating, but I just want to, I just want to lay this out for y'all. Um, but I believe this. I think anything beyond kissing, I think anything that goes beyond kissing in a dating relationship means that you have crossed a line into sexual immorality. And church, I just, just, just my thing here, but I think kissing is right on that line. And here's what I mean by that. Here's why I say that. Because God, I think, created intimate kissing to lead to sex. I think that's why God thought the thing up. I don't think we stumbled into kissing. I think that's part of God's design. It's in the Bible. You go read Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, they are not kissing in there to pass the time, right? <laughs> they are kissing in order to lead to something better than kissing, Right? Kissing is meant to be foreplay. Now, I understand that there's different kinds of kissing. You've got like, hello, baby, good morning kind of kiss, right? And then you got kissing, right? There's a difference. And it's been my experience as a married man that when my wife and I are kissing, it very rarely ends there. Amen? Now, I know that, I know that that's too much information from the old fat guy, but I'm just, I'm just letting you know that some of y'all... Some of y'all are dating, and you're passionately kissing, and you're wondering why in the world you can't stop there. It's because God did not create your body to stop there, right? And so here's a crazy idea, and some of y'all are going to think that I'm ridiculous for saying that, but here's a crazy idea. You might want to stop kissing. And honestly, if I had to do life over again, if I had to do life over again, because Jennifer and I did not have sex before a wedding night. We saved ourselves for a wedding night, but we did struggle physically. And if I had to do life over again, and I've said this several times uh, throughout the years preaching this, and I've had several people through the years come to me and say, Matt, we did this. Thank you so much for saying that. And so I'm going to say it again t today. But if I had to do life over again, I would not have kissed my wife until the altar. That would have been the first time I kissed her. Um, I think it would have been awesome for me to be able to look at her and say, I have saved myself for you for this moment. When in this moment, you and I become the picture of Jesus' covenant love for his bride, the church. And then in that moment, I would have kissed her for the first time. And I would have kissed her in the words of Squints Palidorus from the Sandlot. I would have kissed her long and good. <laughs> but not until that moment. All right, now here's why. Because church, you go read the Bible... 
the Lord takes the stop sinning thing really, really seriously. It's the first thing he ever told us to do. I mean, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Jesus says, because it's better for you to go into heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. And so if you have sexual sin in your life, step one of biblical God-inspired repentance, you need to understand something, is not feeling bad about it. It is stopping the sin as a result of your grief. That's step one, all right? Let's look at the second step because there is another one in repentance. Ephesians chapter five, verse six. Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, sexual morality, impurity, and covetousness, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Stop the sin. Now look at verse eight. He says, why? He said, for you were formerly darkness. You were formerly darkness, but now you are the light. And we talked about it in the second week. If you missed that, go listen to it. Paul says, Look, the reason we don't do this anymore, the reason we stop doing this, the reason we repent of our sin is because we've had an identity change. You used to be the darkness. You weren't in darkness, you were the darkness, but now you are the light. You're not in the light, you are the light. So deeds of the darkness are never going to feel okay anymore to somebody who is the light. Now watch what he says after that. He says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now walk. Action step, walk as children of light. You were darkness, now you are the light, so what do you do? You walk in your new identity. And then what he says is he says there's going to be three things that are going to happen, are going to come out of a person whose identity has been changed. They've stopped their sin, their identity has been changed, and now three things are going to come out of their lives. And watch what he says in verse 9. He says, for the fruit of the light, or the produce that comes out of the fact that your identity has been changed and you're now light, he says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Paul's saying that true biblical repentance doesn't have just one step, it's got two. Step number one, you stop the sin. Step number two, you know if you're truly repenting because three things are going to come out of your life. Three things are going to replace that sin in your life, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now what I want to do with the rest of the sermon today is a pretty short sermon. I just want to show you what goodness and righteousness and truth is because the scripture says if you're really repenting of your sin, that's going to come out. All right, let's start with the second one here. Let's look at the second one, righteousness, and then I'm gonna go to truth and I'll end with goodness. Paul says righteousness will be in the life of a person that's repenting of their sin. If you're truly repenting of sin, righteousness is gonna take the place of the sin in your life. Now, when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you're converted, when you become a Christian, The Bible teaches us that in that moment you're justified. In other words, the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross completely covers and cleanses all of your sin. And so when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, say, Lord, I want to give you my life, trust in your Lord and Savior. In that moment, the blood of Jesus covers you and you are declared completely righteous. And so when the Lord looks at you, he no longer looks at all your sins and all the places you've messed up, but he sees the blood of Jesus. 
And because he sees the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, he declares you righteous. But that's not the word that Paul uses here. That's not what he's talking about. What Paul's saying is going to take the place of sin in your life when you're repenting is a word that means righteous actions. It means righteous behavior. He's not just talking about your standing before the Lord. He's talking about behavior. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is this is what true repentance and full repentance is going to look like. Listen, not only do you stop unrighteous behavior, but righteous behavior will actually take its place. All right? Just a few just very simple examples of this. You know you're really and truly and fully repenting of your sin, not just when you stop looking at pornography, but when you begin to see things replace that time you would spend pornography, which are righteous. Okay, it's not only when you stop looking at pornography, but when you start studying the word and worshiping the Lord. Okay, stopping a porn addiction and then replacing it with the candy crush addiction is not true biblical repentance. Okay, you stopping a porn addiction and replacing it with an Xbox addiction is not biblical repentance. You stop the sin, but righteousness didn't show up in your life. And that's what Paul's saying is full repentance. Okay, you can know that you're truly repenting. Listen, not just when you stop an emotional affair with some woman at work. But you know you're truly repenting, not when you just stop the emotional affair with a woman at work, but you begin the emotional affair with your wife, who's the woman at home. That's when you know that you're truly repenting because you can stop an emotional affair with the girl at work and still treat your wife like crud. Paul is saying full repentance is when righteous actions replace the unrighteous actions. Okay, you can know that you're truly repenting, not just when you stop fantasizing sexually with your mind, but then you begin to use your mind to worship and love and adore the Lord. That's the full picture of repentance when righteousness replaces unrighteous acts. Now, let's look at the second one here, or rather the third on the screen, the second one I'm using. Paul talks about truth. Paul says, I'm in trouble catching my breath. If I pass out, you know, whatever, just call the ambulance, all right? And you pick it up, Paul. So, but truth, he said that truth is going to replace sin in your life when you're truly repenting, all right? Now, what does he mean by that? In the first uh, week of the series, I talked about how God has a very specific design for sex. Okay, God created it. God thought it up. He designed it. It's got a specific and singular purpose for it. Okay, now, and what was that? You remember? He said primarily, we talked about how sex was created by God to be a loving, giving act between a man and a woman inside the confines of marriage in order to be a reminder to them of the covenant, the unbreakable covenant they have with each other and with the Lord, which was created to be a picture and a parable of Jesus' unbreakable covenant with his bride, the church. That is the primary reason God created sex. He's got a secondary reason called making babies. But the primary reason is for you and your wife inside the confines of marriage for you to display Christ's covenant love to the church. That's why he thought it up. That's why he created it. And anything, any sexual expression outside of God's intended design for sex is sin, period. Anything 
outside of that design is sin. And Paul's saying that as a child of the light, as the light, as a person that is walking as a child of the light, what you're going to do is you're going to stop displaying all these false pictures of sexuality. And then you're going to begin as a child of the light to display the only true picture of sexuality. So you got to ask yourself the question. you got to ask yourself the question. No matter where you are in your life, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whatever it is, you got to ask yourself the question, are there expressions of sexuality in my life that I'm doing or I'm thinking or I'm living out that are a false picture of God's design for sex? And if there is, whether regardless of where you are, I've got to submit those things in my life to God's intended purpose and design, okay? Paul says, you are a child of the light. And the fruit of the light is truth, okay? So whether that's masturbation, whether that's lust, whether that is pornography, whether it's it's emotional affair, physical affair, sex before marriage, practicing same-sex relationships, having sex with your wife in order to take from her instead of give to her. Whatever it is, repentance means you stop the false expression and it's replaced only with the true expression. That's going to come out of your life, Paul says, if you are a believer. All right, now, last one. So the first thing Paul says, and this was interesting, I learned something this week that I never knew. First thing Paul says is going to replace sin in a person that is truly repenting of their sin. And that's goodness. It's goodness. Paul says, here's how you know. When you're truly and fully repenting of sin in your life, when your sexual sin doesn't only stop, but it's replaced by goodness. Now, confession. I had no idea what that word meant, biblically speaking, until this week. You go to Galatians, and you see the list of the fruit of the Spirit, right? You know what I'm talking about? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And it kind of hit me, and I thought about it over the years, but I never took the time to look it up. I know what all those words mean, but goodness. Goodness is the only word that I was like, I don't know what that means. And so I looked it up this week. And there are a couple of words in the Greek that the New Testament uses for goodness. The first word is just a word that just means a general goodness about a person. We might use that word if we were saying, you know, he's a good dude or, or she's, a, she's a good person or whatever. It just describes their general character. But that's not the word that Paul uses here. He's not saying that just you being a good person is a fruit of the Spirit. Or it's going to come out of your life when you're really repenting. The word that he uses is the Greek word agathosune. Now listen carefully. It means active goodness. It means participatory goodness, not only in your life, but in the lives of other people. It, it, it's a word that means uh, the fruit of the light. It means there's what's going to come out of your life is that you're not only actively participating in your holiness, but a person that's truly repenting is going to participate in the holiness of other people around them in their lives. Okay? That, in other words, your goodness, this kind of goodness, is going to have rippling effects that impact other people. And um, one, of my, uh, one of my staff guys, when I was talking about the sermon with him, he goes, man, it reminds me of Breaking Bad. Anybody watch Breaking Bad in here? 
None of y'all are going to admit it, are you? <laughs> um, I've seen a couple of episodes, and uh, I couldn't get into it, honestly. And um, I'm not saying that to be holy. I just couldn't get into it. But basically, what my pagan buddies tell me who watch Breaking Bad <laughs> is that there's a main character <laughs> called, uh, I think his name, what, what's his name, Holly? I know you watch that show. Walt, Walter White. Um, Walter White, and he's a chemistry teacher. And he's dying of cancer, and he's got no money. He's got nothing to leave his family. And so he decides one day, because he's a smart dude, that he's going to cook meth, right? And what basically the whole point of the whole show is this. It's to demonstrate that your actions in life have consequences. That you think that your actions are going to be isolated to you, but they're not. That your sin in your life and your actions in your life are going to have rippling effects that affect everybody around you, okay? So Walter White, he makes these decisions and he thinks they're, they're only gonna affect me and they're gonna have all this good impact on other people, but reality, they don't just impact him, but they impact everybody. And basically, in regards to goodness, that is what Paul is saying about your repentance. Except, except on the whole opposite end of the spectrum. And so just in the same way that that your sin has these negative rippling effects on other people, which you're very aware of. But what the scripture is saying is that your repentance from your sin is going to have these positive rippling effects that impact other people. And those positive rippling effects from your repentance is called goodness. It's called goodness. And so that you, you, you can know that you're truly and fully repenting of your sin, not again, to use pornography, not when you're stopping the use of pornography, that's step one, but when you're ensuring that your home for your wife and for your kids is a place of purity for them. That's goodness. Paul says that's going to come out of you when you're fully repenting. You can know that you're truly and fully repenting of sin, not just when you stop lusting after a a woman, men, but when the men that you do life with, because of your impact in them, because of your goodness in their life, you help them not lust after other women. That's goodness. That's the spiritual fruit of goodness. Paul says that's going to come out of you when you're fully repenting. As a woman... You know you're really repenting of sin, sexual or otherwise. Not just when you abstain from a sin, but when you walk alongside your children and making sure that they know how to abstain from sin. That that not only are you stopping a sin, but you're walking alongside your husband in love and you're helping him abstain from a sin. The scripture calls that goodness. It's a, it's a fruit of the spirit. It's a fruit of the light. Paul says, when you're really repenting, that's going to come out of you. Um, college students, singles, that you know you're really repenting of sexual sin. You, you can go, yep, I am repenting, like Jesus said, of my sexual sin. Not only if you walk in purity, but when you are locking arms with the people around you and the guys and the girls in your life, and you're saying, hey, guys and girls, you're coming with me. And then your repentance has rippling effects on their repentance. It's called goodness. Paul says it's going to come out of your life. Listen, I'm the man I am today. I'm the man I am today, not only because I fight for personal holiness. In church, I do. I fight, me. I fight for personal holiness. But I'm the man I am today because I have men in my life that fight for my holiness. It's called goodness. I have a wife 
in my life that fights for my holiness because she shows the spiritual fruit of goodness. I have a community. I fought for this. I have a community of people that I have surrounded myself with and they fight for my holiness as they show the community, as they show the spiritual fruit of goodness coming out of their life, it impacts me and I walk better with Jesus. And that's what the scripture's saying is going to come out of the life of people who are truly repenting. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Doesn't just mean you stop sin. That's not what repentance means. Okay? One of the greatest and just most amazing examples I've ever seen of true, holistic, God-wrought, God-inspired repentance I saw happen right here in this church. Several years ago, I think it might have been 10 years ago, I got a call from a lady and she said, Matt, and we were friends with them. She said, Matt, my, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain my husband is, uh, is pretty deep into sexual sin. And she said, I've, I've, I won't go into the details, but I'm just saying this. He, he was very deep into sexual sin. It was bad. It was bad. And so she invited me and another elder over to her house when she was going to confront him on it. And so I was there when he walked into the room and she challenged him and confronted him on his sin, which all of which was true. And it was one of the worst nights of my life to see the look on her face. And in that moment, and I listen, I, I believe in the power of God wholeheartedly. He created the heavens and the earth. He's God. And I believe in the power of God can change anybody's heart. But as I sat there that, that night and watched that in, uh, interchange between those two, if I were a betting man, I would have bet money that they weren't going to make it. It was that bad. Now, here's the thing. He, he immediately stopped the behavior. He stopped the sin. But the thing is, is that, that myself and, and his wife and the elders, we could not be truly sure that he was actually repenting because he stopped the sin. He stopped the sin because he got caught. And people that do not know Jesus, lost people, non-believers, they will stop sin if they get caught. So I didn't know for sure whether or not he was truly repenting. But here's when I knew. Here's when I knew that he was truly repenting of his sin. When I knew that God had truly and actually got hold of his heart and was producing a godly grief which led to repentance, not when he stopped the sin, but when I started seeing the fruit of the light come out of his life. He began to pursue Jesus like he never had before. He began to pursue the heart of his wife like he never had before. He, he, began, he began to see the rippling effects of his repentance in the men of his life. He and his wife, over the course of years and over the course of healing, and as God began to do a work in their heart, he began to see their repentance and his uh, repentance specifically began to move other men towards repentance. And 10 years later, as we speak, I called the guy this week, right now he is in counseling. They are in counseling with two couples right now who are walking through adultery and they're walking through it with them and leading them to Jesus. 
That's repentance. You see the difference? It's not just a stopping of your sin. But you know you're really walking in a God-inspired repentance when righteousness, truth, and goodness start coming out of your life. And here's the thing. I, you know, I thought about this this week. That a lot of us think that if we're mired in sexual sin, that means that we're disqualified from ministry. That if we're, if we're wrestling with sexual sin, it means that God wants to put us on the sidelines. When in actuality, what the scripture is saying here today is that it's quite the opposite of that. That God, if, if you're in sin and you're a believer, that God, step one, he wants to heal you of that sin. He wants to see that sin stop in your life, and, but he's not going to put you on the sidelines. It's the opposite. That. He wants to heal you of your sin, and then he wants to put you in the game so that the spiritual fruit of goodness can come out of your life and you can impact other people and their holiness with what was once your sin. That's the fruit of the light. And when I got that this week, the goodness thing, never understood it. When I got that this week, I thought of, of something I've never thought about before. Psalms 51 makes more sense to me today than it's ever made in my whole life. And it's the prayer that King David prayed when he was repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. I just want to read this to you really quickly and we're done. In Psalms 51.10, David sinned, committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he prays this prayer to the Lord. In verse 10, he says, God created me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He says, God, I need a new heart. I need a clean heart, but he doesn't stop there. That's not the last thing he prays. Do you remember the next thing he prays after he asked God to give him a new heart? Here's what he says in verse 13. David prays, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Then, God, you created me a clean heart. You renew a steadfast spirit within me, God. And then, here's what's going to be the result of it, God. Then I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted to you. I have no doubt in my mind for those of us in this room that are walking with Jesus through our sin that you have no hesitancy to pray the prayer, Lord, created me a clean heart. I would imagine that there's a lot of us in this room that over the course of this series, you've already prayed that prayer, Lord, created me a clean heart. But my question for you today is, did you stop there? Are you praying, God, not only created me a clean heart, but God, would you help me then when you do that to teach transgressors your ways so that sinners would be converted to you through my former sin? If you're here today and you have sexual sin in your life and you feel the, the grief of the Lord in your life because of it, here's step one. By the power of God and the grace of God, you stop today. But two, you pray God does a work in your life so that righteousness, truth, and goodness comes out. All right? Let's pray together.
And I want to give you just a second as we end this series. To do the thing that Jesus first told us to do. To repent and believe the gospel. Just in the quietness of your heart today, um, if you have sin in your life, whether it's sexual or otherwise, but God's convicted you of it, don't let it end today with feeling bad about it. Let it end in repentance. And ask God not just to give you the power to stop, to do not be partakers with those who walk in darkness, but ask him to do a great work in you that would not stop there. The goodness and righteousness and truth would come out of you. Father, I thank you for stories like my friend. It's one of the reasons, God, I believe that you're alive, that you're real. Because you are the life changer. I pray that there would be many more stories just like that in our church, not just in sexual sin, but in all of our sin, God, that you would do great work in us and cause us to stop, to repent, to turn but then to walk, God, as children of light. That we would be the light of this world. That we would be a city on a hill that could not be hidden. That people would see the way that we live and praise our Father who's in heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together today. Let's worship the living God who's on his throne.